1: Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Whether you're a salesperson, a leader, or even an individual contributor, you are selling something all the time, a product or a service, your capability, your idea, and even your personality. And in times like these, all of that selling is happening virtually. I hear from an awful lot of people who say, how do I sell when I can't be face-to-face? We have no option today except to master how to convince people in a virtual setting. So this is what we're going to talk about today. What are the tips and tactics? What's the selling cycle, whether it's a product or service you're selling or yourself, your idea you're selling, and how do we manage that in a virtual environment? My guest today is Jeb Blount. He is a sales acceleration specialist. I love that phrasing, the author of no less than 11 books, including Fanatical Prospect Acting. Sales EQ, people buy you. People follow you, objections, and his latest book, Inked, the one we're also going to talk about today, you see um, on the show, if you're looking at this visually, is called Virtual Selling. He's among the world's most respected thought leaders on prospecting, sales, leadership, and customer experience. And through his global training organization, Sales Gravy, Jeb advises really a who's who's list of world's leading organizations and their executives on the impact of emotional intelligence interpersonal skills on customer facing activities. I love that. Jeb, welcome to the show.
0: Well, thank you for having me on the show. And, and just a correction. I, I don't know where the bio came from, but I'm the author of 13 books now. So 13 books. Well, I added yeah, because, one to that. Virtu- yeah, virtual selling was number 12 and then virtual training, which will be out in June is number 13. So um, we've been moving fast this year. So we, w- w- it was funny because we published Inc in February of 2020 and then the pandemic hit and we immediately published virtual selling. So it's been a, it's been a whirlwind and the, the bios haven't kept up with the, with the book right. sales.
1: I did not know about virtual training. I had caught the other one. Um, Some other day, we're going to have a conversation about how you managed to produce that many books in that short period of time. I clearly need to follow your strategy because I'm not up to speed on that one. But tell me why. Why do you care? I mean, everything you do is about sales, understanding sales, getting better sales, sales acceleration specialist. Why? What's the driver for you?
0: Well, I've... I've t- I tell people this all the time, but there's only two things in life that I'm good at: horses okay. and selling things, and that's it. I, God gave me no other talent. So, uh, so if you if you if you think about it, horses—it's a hobby, and it's a very hard way to make a living. Selling is a lot easier, so that's where I spend my time and effort. And and horses and sales—there's a lot of analogy in dealing with horses and dealing with people, and how you influence or persuade a 2,000-pound a, know, animal that's a lot bigger than you and and also work with a buyer. So I find those two things go well together. But sales is just my passion. It's the thing that I've been doing since I was out of high school and in college and everywhere I've been. And I, I learned early on that if I could outsell people, that I could make it rain, then I could get promoted. I made a lot of money and I lived a lifestyle that a lot of people couldn't. So uh, sales is a, a very important part of that now as a entrepreneur and a business owner, sales is also a lifeline because sales is equal to cash flow. And if you run a small business, cash flow is everything. Um, So if you're not constantly selling in some form or fashion, you're probably going to go out of business. Uh,
1: Yeah. Um, People ask me all the time, geez, how do I do what you do? I want to, and I, my first thing is you have got to get comfortable with the fact that you're selling all the time and that it's feast or famine. It's always a lot or none. And there's sort of nothing in between on those cycles. But I have to go back because something very few people know about me is I also have a passion for horses. Wow. I'm not going to say that I'm skilled at it, mind you, but I'm I'm fascinated by them. And largely, I'm fascinated by this notion that you are persuading this beast that he is way bigger than you, that there is no way you can control, I don't care what you have in your head, it's going to do what it wants it to do. And you're persuading that beast to do some very intricate movements that are not necessarily in its natural wheelhouse. And I swear it's the best way to learn emotional intelligence, um, body language, um, confidence, executive presence, because if you don't have it right there in a nonverbal way with that horse, it's going the wrong direction, I promise you. Now react to what I just said.
0: Well, I, I think that with horses, you have to be bigger on the outside than you are on the inside. And so the horse has to believe that you're bigger than the horse. And that begins with relaxed assertive confidence. So horses, just like people can read the, 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 the emotions that you are transferring to them. So emotions are contagious, whether it's when yeah. people are horses. And so, and that's why I say you have to be bigger on the outside. I mean, if you're dealing with a buyer, like, you know, you talk about getting out of your comfort zone as a business owner. You're dealing with a buyer. In a lot of cases, you feel small and insecure in that moment. You feel like you're going to lose or that, you know, that that, that you're going to get, uh, you're going to be rejected. And with a horse, right, the the same thing, except for it's two different things. With a horse, you're afraid that you're going to get hurt. The two things we fear the most are death and rejection as human beings. So when when you're selling, you're dealing with rejection when you're dealing with horses, you're dealing with the potential to, to die or to get hurt badly in the sport that I'm in, you can die. So, you know, there's a, it's, a, it's a very difficult thing for human beings to manage. And like you said, emotional intelligence, it's being able to be perceptive of your own emotions and manage your emotions in the moment so that you can influence the emotions of a human being or of a horse. And for example, I've got, I've got a horse, his name is uh, the Big Kahuna. And he's almost 18 hands. He's a warm blood. Uh, and he's, when I say big, he's big. Like, it, he, he scares people. People come up to me; they're scared to death of him. He's the best horse in the world. And I, I bought the horse from an owner who just was very, you know, very trepidatious about pushing him and making him do things that I know that he was capable of doing. And the first time I saw him, I'm like, I love this horse. So I ended up buying the horse. And I I... I I recognize that this particular horse could get pushed a little bit harder than another horse I have named Silas. Who, you know, a five—both five-year-olds. One's off the track, thoroughbred. One is a warm blood and they have different personalities so just understanding how to shift the, your style to each personality kahuna can take on anything like and all you got to do is just give him and let him go forward and silas he needs a little bit of help moving forward and you got to be compassionate with him and more empathetic with him to to get him to perform both of them are incredible athletes they just have different ways of looking at the world and so for me it's you walk into the situation, you said the word confident, you've got your shoulders up, you've got your chin out, uh, you have to believe in yourself, you have to recognize and understand that you are in control, and I think more than anything, and I think this, when you use the word emotional intelligence, more than anything, you have to recognize, especially when you're dealing with thoroughbreds, that you, can, you might win the battle, like you might win that moment, but you're going to lose the war. And, and, and my job is to win the war, right? It's to, it's, it's, it's overall to have that horse working with me in conjunction with me, you know, in, in sync with me, not worry about, you know, what they're doing here, what they're doing here. I don't micromanage a horse. And a lot of people do like they try to micromanage everything the horse does. And you're just in a constant pitch battle and you're worn out at the end of the day. People are the same way like you have to be able to let go of the little things and then focus on on the big things what is the objective that i want what am i trying to accomplish here and i think when we think about selling or virtual selling or any of that it's all about understanding what your desired outcome is and being able to manage the moment so that you can achieve that outcome
1: Makes sense. All right. So we could talk for forever about horses and how horses are like people and how you learn to deal with people by learning how to deal with horses, personalities, styles, approaches. It's all right there. And the fun thing is it's largely nonverbal. So you really do have to get every part of your body in communicating in the right way or you're going to be toast. So, anybody out there looking to refine your body language, I highly recommend horses. But let's talk about people for a moment. Otherwise, we're both on the wrong track for a while. (laughs) So, people, I want to pick up something you say. You say this in your books. You just said it now, this notion of manage your emotions. And let me tell you why. Because so many women in particular that I coach and interact with have been told to not show their emotions and they interpret that as to become emotionless. I think you're ineffective the moment you shut off your emotions. At the same time, you don't want to be out of control your emotions. So tell me what you mean when you say you have to manage your emotions, and then I'm going to ask you, how do you do it? Well, let's just,
0: let's think about the, the most powerful emotional foundation for anyone in any human relationship, and, and in particular, sales and business. Again, sales is fraught with the potential of being rejected, ostracized, kicked, you know, banished. This, the, 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 this, this, the one of our greatest fears. So, in that moment, it's very difficult to manage your emotions when you feel like there's a potential for you to be rejected. You begin changing your approach. So, the most powerful emotional foundation for us is relaxed assertive confidence, and RAC. So, it's not emotionless. It is is managing your emotions in the moment that causes other people to lean into you. As human beings, we tend to lean into people who are confident. We just do. We we tend to respect people who are confident. We do. Assertiveness is important. And this is different. A lot of people say assertive. They think aggressive. I'm not talking about aggressive. I'm talking about assertive. Assertive is, for example, if I'm asking for an appointment, I just say, how about Thursday at 2? Now, that wasn't aggressive. It wasn't arrogant. It wasn't pushy. I just said, how about Thursday at 2? Now, the human brain, especially if you are high on the empathy scale, and, and a lot of women in business, you know, especially when you compare them again you know, against men, most women are higher on the empathy scale than men are. Men are typically going to be more self-centric. I'm not t- saying all men are. I'm just saying that men in general typically are going to be more self-centric. Women are going to be typically be more empathetic. We can argue all the reasons why that is true, but that is the truth. And when you are higher on the empathy scale, you're, you're much better at listening to people, bringing people in, developing relationships, connecting at the emotional level, which is super important in selling. It's important with horses, right? You're, so you're better at that. Uh, however, you are constantly in battle with your in your mind because you don't want to be too pushy. You don't want to to be too assertive and so what happens is you know we, what we teach women to to do in these particular situations we tell them like we say you you know you have to manage your emotions and what we're really telling them is that you need to be more assertive in other words you need to get past your insecurity and ask for what you want whereas you know with men we're constantly saying listen you need to shut up and listen like stop talking at people and understand that when you listen to another human being, you create these deep emotional connections what allowed you to get them or compel them to want to move to the next step with you in any type of sales process. And we're constantly in the battle with if you're lower on the empathy scale, you need to be intentional about empathy. And if you are higher on the empathy scale, you need to be more intentional about outcomes. And, and you can't change where you sit and so what happens is you get we have this sort of the, this delusional way of teaching people. You need to, you know, we, you need to manage your emotions. And what I'm saying is, you need to, in in that moment, be able to approach any type of sales conversation with relaxed, assertive confidence. You can be funny. You can be open. You can be passionate. Right. You can show people your emotions. What you don't have is insecurity. So with, uh, it, just going back to our lessons with horses. You can have fun on a horse, but I get like cranked up. We take a big, you know, we take a really big jump, you know, and I'm, I'm on the other side going, yeah, well, you know, nice job. I'm patting the horse. Well done. But before we get to that jump, it's relaxed, assertive confidence. And trust me, if I show any bit of insecurity, not only am I going to get the horse off of kilter, but it's going to get me off kilter too. Or I'm going to hesitate or I'm going to do something that's going to cause us to crash. Same thing in your relationships. It's not about you know emotional control, like no emotions. It's about emotional discipline. It's about displaying the right emotion at the right time in the right context, with, with, with your buyer. And let me give you a a, a great example of this. I was coaching one of my young salespeople. My, this young salesperson is eager. They're good. They're an amazing, like, you know, co- connecting with people. People love working with this person. Love it. Except for one thing. This new salesperson is putting a lot of pressure on themselves. They feel like they feel a little bit insecure in some of these relationships and some of these conversations. And so they're doing a couple of things. You're talking too fast. And they're overpromising. And one of the things that I was pointing out to them is that you're, you're essentially at the end of a sentence, you laugh after you say something important, and the only reason you're laughing is to protect yourself, right? So you, you have this little nervous laugh. And even though the person's laughing with you, their subconscious is saying, this isn't right. Why would you do that? And the only reason you're laughing is because you lack the confidence in what you deliver, the information delivered. So like, you gotta back that off. The emotional discipline is to be able to say something that's important and then not second guess what you said, that, right. that what I said right. was okay. Or teaching salespeople to, instead of using language like, well, I just wanted to kind of see if it would be okay with you, to just say, why don't we go ahead and stop here and then get together with your boss so that we can do a better job of understanding what is important to you and your company. That's the difference between insecurity and emotional discipline, relaxed assertive confidence. So I know this is complicated, and I could spend hours walking you through the science of this, but it begins with you. You, you, have to, you have to begin with emotional discipline. Everything starts there. And when you have that emotional discipline, relax, assertive confidence, when you are able to, to almost like a duck on the water, right? You, you, you're, you're calm and cool on the, on the surface. You're pedaling like crazy in the, uh, you know, b- below, below the surface. When you can do that, suddenly people, like, people start to look at you and they go, wow, this is the person I want to do business with. And I'm going to give you just an example of this from my own life, because people are like, well, you're different, Jeb. Like, you, you, know, you, you, like you t- talk to people all over the world. You feel no nervousness. So on Sunday, I'm delivering the, the baccalaureate speech for a local high school that they invited me. i got 20 minutes. I've got all these graduates staring at me. And well, I've stood in stadiums and you know, delivered speeches to 25,000 people. It's not uncommon for me to be on a stage full of crazy salespeople and I'm talking. And I'm standing in front of this group of, of kids, I've got and their parents, and I've got twenty minutes, and I'm essentially delivering a sermon because I'm in church. And uh, and my heart won't stop beating. Like I am absolutely terrified. It's out of my comfort zone, because I'm normally in front of salespeople where I know exactly how to respond to them, exactly what to do. I'm in church, not my comfort zone, and I have to deliver something to a group of students that my hope is is profound enough so that 20 years from now they will remember it, like it, it stuck with them. And I am like I walk up and stand in front of the podium, again, not my comfort zone. My comfort zone is live mic, I'm walking around, I'm wide mm-hmm. open, and they're all looking at me, and. I'm like, I'm shaking in my boots. But when the words come out of my mouth, I'm, I'm surpri- I mean, I surprised myself. I'm like, okay, you sound like a person who's done this a million times. And I even told him, I said, you know, I'm, I'm always like petrified when I do like commencement speeches or graduation speeches. But when the words came out of my mouth, when I began to tell the story, when I went through what I was doing no one noticed that no one said anything in fact afterwards people came to me and said is the greatest speech i ever heard in my life and this is in church okay so so the point is is that even though i felt that way like i felt completely nervous and insecure and afraid that i was going to embarrass myself in front of my community and my wife who was in the audience what came across was relaxed assertive confidence and you can notice from the very first word everybody just leaned forward into the first story And and that is the difference between you know um, um, you know um, I could have been emotionless I was animated I was telling my story I was smiling, but that's that's what I mean by emotional discipline and that is critical in business relationships it's critical in sales that you do that and you know we're we're on to talk about virtual selling and it's incredibly critical when you're staring in front of a camera which for most people is terrorizing i mean almost worse than standing in front of a you know a church at the pulpit giving a sermon and i'm not a person that normally gives sermons you know so it's it's that level of terror it's it's the ability to feel the the emotion but not necessarily allow the emotion to gain control over your actions, right? So in, in other words, we can rise above how we feel and we can choose how we respond. And I love what you said, and I wanna come back to this because I think this is incredibly important, especially for women in sales and women in business. You're, be authentic, be yourself, be who you are. People love that. Like, th- there is no win in being emotionless. There is a win in being who you are and being confident, because that's what people buy. People buy you, and uh, and the people that have, you know that have, have perpetuated this myth, and you know and this is what you have to do. They're just wrong. Like, you know, they're just wrong. I want to buy from people that I believe in. I want to buy from people who are confident. I want to buy from people who know their stuff and get, you know, get where they're going, get you know, get their, their or know their industry, or get me and, and want to step into my shoes and listen to me. That's who I want to buy from, not some emotionless robot who is just going through the motions. And, I, and by the way, I just had a conversation with one of my young leaders, you know, a woman who is, by stepping into her first leadership role and I just had a very similar, you know, conversation. I said, the people around you want to build relationships with you. They want to know that they can trust you and that you're a real person. Pick up the phone, have a conversation with them and be that person that, you know, that other people like they, that they see as credible and that they, and they, and they like you because they're going to follow you because of that. Not because like suddenly you're, the, you know, you've got the boss, you know, shoes on.
1: There's so much in all of that to pick up on. One is I find that people believe that the reason somebody buys them and the way that or buys their idea is that they have more facts and figures and details than anybody else. And yes, that is great prep. That, I think, gives you part of that confidence. There's no question. You have to have some of it. But that isn't what convinces people. The logic is never what's persuasive. It's the confidence, the relaxed, the and a bit of the assertive because that also says, I know what I'm talking about. I'm not afraid to ask you. I think that's great. All right. So, we could debate whether women are more empathetic or men are more empathetic. I see both sides of the equation on that one. I don't want to go there. What I want to talk, though, I want to give you a story um, about a guy that I worked with a number of years ago who is not in a sales role, but he has an idea for a new product area in his company. And, you know, a lot of people around him think this could be a big thing. This could be a really good idea. He's looking for that next big move himself that's going to give him a next promotion. Running this, leading this would be a great stepping stone for him for the rest of his career. Everybody believes his confidence confident, competent. When he pitches the idea to me as a coach, even as a dry run through, my comment to him is, I wouldn't buy it because you don't look like you buy it. You don't look like you're passionate. You don't look like you're committed. You don't look like you're excited. You just look like, well, here's something we could do if we wanted to. And I wouldn't give you the money either. And I believe you can do it. That's not the point. Um, and it's, so, it is finding that sense of passion, excitement, commitment, confidence, if you will, that you can show even if you are nervous in the moment. Okay? I like that. Relaxed, assertive, confident. Okay. How? How do I get from my current state today to this relaxed, assertive, confident place?
0: Well, some of this is experience. So, some of it's just have, you know, you, you just walk through life and you experience things and you get, you get you know, you get confidence from just having done it. I mean, if that, like this Sunday, if that was the first time I'd ever said in, in front of a group of people, it might've been really, really difficult, you know, for me to to put together relax a relaxed sort of confidence because I've done it before and I've, and I've experienced it. The, you know, the obstacle of giving a speech that's 20 minutes long in front of a group of people that I want to be impactful, it's easier for me to manage. And what I'm describing is something called obstacle immunity. So, if you, if you think about, um, for example, uh, Spartan races, uh, Joe DeSantis Spartan races, or you think about military service, if you go to basic training uh, and you jump out of airplanes or you have, you know, people shoot at you or you have to go through obstacle races or Tough mutters or uh, Outward Bound, you know, um, mm-hmm. the Kurt Hahn, you know, uh, you know, basically built, you know, Outward Bound based on, you know, c- putting people through a series of, uh, of, of obstacles or making them face adversity so that they gain mental resilience. And what obstacle immunity is, is simply facing something that seems like it's a really tough thing to do over and over and over again until it doesn't seem like such an obstacle. Now, you describe this gentleman who has got an idea for his company and he wants to pitch it and he came to you, you're his coach, and you made him role play it with you. Well, Ro- role playing with someone is a form of gaining obstacle immunity he may have been incredibly nervous just to tell you about it. And, and, and if you think about it, like maybe this was a person that I'm just making stuff up, but maybe he was a person that like, he feels like it's a weakness or insecurity if he shows any type of nervousness. And when I say emotional discipline, it is not weakness to show nervousness. It is not weakness to sell, say to people, Hey, you know, I, like I've sat with buyers and said, you know what? I really screwed that up. Can I have a mulligan on that? And they'll all laugh. And I go, I was just nervous coming in. Like there's nothing wrong with being, you know, being yourself but maybe he's a person who's trying to hide that. So when he's pitching it to you, he's trying to act nonchalant, right? So and then it comes off as you lack any passion for that. And that's that's a miscue in his brain about what what you know what he thinks or perceives that other people are thinking about him. It could be that, you know, that that he is insanely nervous because he doesn't want to be too pushy. He's uh, higher on the empathy scale. And if you think about the empathy scale like this, just think at the the bottom end is sociopath, right? The top end is hyper empathic. This is a person who can feel the vibration of trees. Essentially, they just walk around the world crying all the time. Okay. So, and those people exist in the world. Okay. They just are there. Mm -hmm. And along that, that scale, you have people who fit different places. So I'm, you know, I'm more of a self-centered person. So I'm probably a three or four. My wife is a eight or a nine. So in, and opposites have a tendency to attract. So he could be like an 8 or a 9 and you know he's he's afraid that if he if he shows up and he's really passionate about it that he's being too pushy. So he feels like he just needs to like give people an opportunity to to you know to 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 feel it on their own. Or, you know, on the flip side, he could be a person who he's really self-centric and he's like, you should just you should just like this just because I do. And a lot of people do that. Like a lot of salespeople fall in that and that to that in that trap where they just think because they believe in it that they can just throw it out there and everybody else is going to believe in it because of, like you said, the data and the facts. But the Mm -hmm. data and facts don't carry it. It could be any of those things. But regardless, like the one of the easiest ways to start learning relaxed assertive confidence is to face the adversity, like face that thing that causes you to feel either that level of insecurity or char- change causes you to change your approach and your emotions because of the situation. You just do that over and over and over again as a coach, I do it through role play. Like I'll, I'll have a, I got a set of salespeople that are going to be on with me this afternoon and I'm going to be running them through how to make prospecting calls. And so they're going to role play it and role play it and role play it. And then I'm going to put them on the phone and they're actually going to make prospecting calls. And by the way, all this virtual. So they're all going to be on their own screens doing this thing. And what happens is they learn, they learn, they learn. This doesn't change the fact that they might not feel nervous or that they feel nervous. The fact that I was feeling nervous sending it that pulpit was simply fight or flight. It was just kicking on. And it was the greatest human fear to be rejected. It was the fear that they're not gonna like me, they're gonna reject me, they're gonna, I'm gonna flop, I'm gonna say something bad, I'm gonna embarrass myself. All that fear was still there. That was happening in the sympathetic nervous system. I had zero control over that. Now there's nothing that I could do to change the fact that my heart was beating fast. But what I could control is what came out of my mouth. What I could control is what I allowed people to see. And I could show my passion. I could show what I was doing. I could smile. I could do all those things. And at the same time, I still felt nervous. Like, they're in the entire thing. It never went away. Like, fight or flight was always there. So so the way that you learn how to do this is you practice it, and you practice it, and you practice it. And I like in your situation that you're working with this gentleman who's got this idea because in a lot of cases like you don't know what what you look like to other people and what a coach does is they take a mirror and they show you like this is what it looks like go back to horses i when i'm riding a brand new horse i go get someone who's on the ground to go watch me and they'll say, you know, you, you're changing your body you know, your body language. You're changing the way you're riding. And what they'll point out to me is that I'm changing because I'm afraid. Like, I'm on something new. I don't know what this horse is going to do. So instead of riding the horse the way that I would always ride a horse, I start changing the way I'm responding to the horse, my approach. And guess what? It changes the horse. This gentleman that you're coaching, change your approach. You'll change the way people perceive your idea. And, and that's what sort assertive confidence is. It's only changing your approach. It's not saying that you have to, like, somehow or another be some, you know, brilliant human being that can push an easy button and you don't feel things. You're going to feel them. But if, you've, you know, if, if you're in a Tough Mudder, I don't know if you know Tough Mudder, these races, yeah. right, you go around and around in circles. I mean, at 2 o'clock in the morning after you've hit that wall for five times, six times, seven times in a row – It just looks like a pain in the rear end. It doesn't look like the scariest thing you've ever seen. Right.
1: That's right. All right. So if I take all of this, I'm going to say that all of us have these deep-seated fears. They're different for every person, but they come in a variety of packages. I'm afraid of rejection. I'm afraid of being incompetent and embarrassed in some ways. And I'm afraid I'm not important enough. Some version of those, or you're not going to like me, some versions of those are what we all fear. This managing your emotions is to recognize the fear and then learn even in the face of that fear to stay relaxed, to present forward a relaxed, assertive, confident. Don't take the fear away. It's not going to disappear, but I'm not letting that fear control me in the moment. Is that a fair summary?
0: That's a fair summary. It's sort of like, you know, you've, we've all been for the the ship that's been tossed around in an emotional storm. We've all been that, you know, that person. And it's the choice that in the emotional storm that you rise above the fear and you take the helm and you steer the ship where you want it to go, which is, you know, th- which is the emotions and how you approach people. And look, it's not easy. It's just, but but you have that choice. You don't choose your emotions. That, that happens with, without your consent. You choose your
1: response. Okay, great. I love that. The choice to rise above the emotions, meaning I choose what I'm going to do, not let the emotions choose me. But I also love your statement, you don't choose your emotions. They kind of do happen to you physiologically, not much you're going to do about that. I can choose how I interpret those emotions, however, and that can make a difference. All right. I loved this um, phrasing that you did around assertive. I've never heard it put this way, that there's one half. So, I'm a big fan of the notion that leadership is about Balancing act between two polar opposites. And you described a polar opposite of being self centered, focused on the outcome only, versus being empathetic, focused on how everybody else is reacting only. And I love those polar extremes the outcome versus the empathy. And that what we want to be able to do is to draw both of them back into balance. Not so heavily on empathy that I forget about the outcome, not so focused on outcome that I forget about the empathy. Somewhere in that yin and yang middle. I like that. I thought that was a really cool concept. Okay, Jeb, this is a perfect place to take a break. And then we have teased the audience for a grand total of 30 minutes about virtual selling. So when we come back for the break, I'm going to go straight for this notion of virtual selling, how to do it when you can't be face-to-face. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Jeb Blount. Jeb is a sales acceleration specialist and the author of 13 books, including Fanatical Prospecting, Sales EQ, a host of others, Inked, and most recently, Virtual Selling. Okay. I can't tell you how many salespeople, professional salespeople inside organizations who have said to me, I can't wait until I can get back to -to face-to-face because there's no way you can do a sales virtually. Or how many people have said to me, I need to continue to raise my profile, meaning sell myself internally, and I can't do that when I'm not face-to-face. And your answer to them is not true. Not true. Tell us about that.
0: Well, I don't think anybody would argue that the very best way for human beings to communicate is not face-to-face. It is. If, if you and I were together and we were face-to-face, we would it would we would we connect a lot faster than we have being on a video call with each other. I mean, so, but I'm sitting here, you know, we've, we've spent about 30 minutes together and like, I feel connected to you. I can see your face. I can see what's going on with you. I can see what's happening there. And, and the truth is, is that if we did this a couple more times, we would actually forget that we we're on video. We would, we would, it would, we would, we would be much closer. And I've experienced that myself. And one of the things that I've noticed is, is for example, that we spend a lot less time on telephones these days, and we spend a lot more time on video. I'm, I'm on video all day long, and and the people that I'm dealing with prefer to be on video. And in fact, McKinsey just did a study and found that 71% of buyers when given the, the option of a video call or a phone call, prefer video, and for the very reason that they can we can see each other and we can perceive each other on a video call. So I know that that face-to-face communication is the very, very best form of communication for human beings. The problem for us is it's not always the most efficient form of communication. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of a pandemic, it, it, it it's not even possible for us to have that type of communication. Now, I think what we have to realize is that we're we're coming to a place where we're going to be at a crossroads, right? So we're going to be coming out of a pandemic. I mean, I went to the grocery store yesterday and shopped without my mask on because I'm fully vaccinated and I'm like, I'm free. But I, I went in there and I went shopping without my mask on and most people had their mask on, but nobody said anything because, and I have my card. Somebody said, I'm like, I'm vaccinated. So, and I'm in Georgia, so I can do that in Georgia. Can't do that in some other places, but I can do it in Georgia. So we're going to be at a crossroads where you're going to say, oh, I want to go right back to the way things were before, or I, I have to choose a different path, right? Mm-hmm. I, have to, I have to choose something that is going to look different than where we were before. I'm here to tell you we're never going back to where we were before. We're not going back to where we were before because people figured out that virtual selling, virtual buying, virtual training is more efficient, and in some cases more effective than, than in-person selling. But it's way more efficient. There are going to be places and times where being in front of your customer matters. There's going to be places and times where it doesn't make a difference. And so what the future is for everybody, and you talk about internal, external, you want to talk about business people, entrepreneurs, salespeople, the future is something called blending. And you want to write this down and pay attention to this. What blending is is in every situation, internal, external, doesn't make a difference where you are, in every situation, you have to make a choice of the appropriate communication channel in that situation with that particular person that's gonna give you the highest probability of getting the outcome that you desire at the lowest cost of time, energy, and money. (laughs) This is the future. And by the way, this is how you're going to accelerate revenue growth, sales, getting people to to, to buy your ideas uh, inside your organization. In some cases, it means that we're going to get people together. We're going to go meet with them. In other cases, it means that I'm going to meet with them once, and then everything else I'm going to do from there is virtual. In some cases, I'm going to do everything virtual, and when the time is appropriate and it makes sense for me to jump off into a a face-to-face relationship, I'm going to do that. The, the thing is, is that I'm, I'm a person who said, for example, I do a, a training called, um, uh, coaching ultra performance. So it's a, it's a sales training or a coaching program for sales leaders. I said before the pandemic, there is no way possible that you can teach this course in a virtual environment. And today I teach it in a virtual environment. I never want to go back to in person. It's better virtual than it is in person for lots of reasons. What people are finding, what buyers are finding is that, for example, in the same McKinsey report, 77% of buyers say they prefer a virtual meeting when they're dealing with an existing vendor. Why? Because they realize that if you're an existing vendor and I already have a relationship with you, why in the world do I need to stop everything I'm doing, get you through security, get a cup of coffee, do chit-chat, do all these things so I can spend about 15 minutes with you, in order to make a, a new order or to do something different or to talk about strategy. And it turns out that almost the same number of, of, of businesses, in fact, a little bit more, 78% of companies say that when they're evaluating a new vendor, that they prefer to start the process in a virtual format than in-person in, a, in person format. Why? Because there's less investment of time, energy, and money in a virtual format. So if I'm meeting with the vendor for the first time and it turns out this really isn't a fit, I don't have to spend as much of my resources in order to have that meeting. What the salespeople are saying when they say, I can't do this you know, in a virtual environment, is what you're really saying is that, you are, you, you are afraid. Like you are, you are scared that you're not going to be able to see, that you're not going to be able to use your charisma and your authenticity, that you're not going to be able to capture people and influence people via a camera or via a phone or via text messaging or via direct messaging or via, you know, social media or via snail mail the same way that you could in person. And by that, you're just wrong. It, that's you. That's what's happening inside of you. That's your fear. Because if you just look over to last year, what businesses have done, there are companies out there who they were completely in person and you'll, you'll hear their leadership team saying, we're not going back to that ever again. In other words stat coming out of the pandemic is 90% of companies, these are executives in companies across the globe. This isn't just in the U S across the globe say that virtual selling as part of their toolkit is here to stay because they recognized how much more productive their salespeople were when they started leveraging these virtual tools. So one, if we go back to what I said earlier about blending, right? So you got to get past your fear. Like this is all you, I'm, I'm so much better in person. That is a myth and that is a story that you're telling yourself. It is, it is an excuse that you're saying to yourself so that you don't have to actually do things that take you out of your comfort zone. There is no doubt that staring in front of a camera, it takes you out of your comfort zone. There is no doubt that delivering virtual presentations takes you out of your comfort zone. There is no doubt that doing all of these new things, mastering technology, all of these things, make you nervous, make you feel insecure, and take you out of your comfort zone. But here is the future, you have to hear this because I'm telling you the brutal truth. We are not going back. And if you go back after this pandemic and you think that the only path forward is to be in person, somebody's going to eat your lunch because they're going to be blending and they're going to be more efficient. Can, they can make more calls, talk to more people. They can meet their buyers and their prospects where they are. They can get more done in less time. They can get their ideas spread out. Imagine that you're this gentleman that you're coaching and he's got this great idea, but he's got to talk to executives all over the place and get all these people, these different stakeholders to buy in. And I've been in big companies where I was an executive. I'm trying to get people to buy my idea. You don't sell it to one person. You got to sell it to everybody. Well, the choice is get on an airplane and sell to everybody, but you can't do that because why? Well, you don't have the budget to do that. But I can spin up a video call and have all these different conversations with people over time and start to create a coalition around my idea that allows me to get my idea accepted so that I can rise in the organization. You've never had a time and place where that was easier because so many people have accepted virtual selling. So what you got to recognize is that in a blended world where you're choosing the virtual communication channel or the communication channel, any communication channel, that's gonna give you the highest probability of achieving your desired outcome. And hear what I said: highest probability of achieving your desired outcome at these things go together, the lowest cost of time, energy, and money, right? We have to we have to balance those two things. If you if you buy into that, and I hope you do, because we're not going back, then that says that it is your responsibility to master. Every form of communication so you got to be a master of in-person you got to be a master of the phone You got to be a master of text messaging you got to be a master of social and direct messaging You got to be a master of video calls You got to be a master of FaceTime and zoom and every way that you can communicate with people So no matter where you are in the process at that given moment, you don't have to second-guess. Oh, I'm not really good at this Let me see if I can set up a meeting you just say let's get together tomorrow And I'm living proof. My company is living proof. We doubled the size of our company this year. And we were already a hyper-growth company going into the pandemic. Training companies weren't supposed to do that in the middle of a pandemic. But because we embraced these different tools as a company... Not only did we double the size of our company, but we were doing seven-figure training deals that before the pandemic would have taken us six to eight months to get done because no company spends seven figures on training without you meeting with their executives, sitting in boardrooms, getting on airplanes, doing tons of discovery, high risk for everybody. Like Everybody puts in a lot of effort. A lot of those never come to fruition because of the risk. We're doing those deals, and we're doing them in six weeks. Why? Because on video, we can get everybody on. We can have meeting after meeting. We don't have to worry about all that time. And we're able to compress the sales cycle and decision-making. And the, the risk to everyone for either moving forward or not moving forward is really, really low. So what we were able to do as a company is get in the middle of more of these deals because it didn't cost us a lot of money. Like, we didn't have to think, well, I don't want to, you know, get in the middle of this because I can't afford to go fly there, or I think there's a really low probability we're going to get in. We were able to get in most of them, and we were able to win tons of them because of virtual selling. So think blending, choosing the communication channel, That at that given time and that given situation is going to give you the highest probability of getting your desired outcome at the lowest cost of time, energy, and money. Embrace that formula and your business and your sales and wherever you are will move at light speed and you'll crush every competitor around you.
1: If I wasn't sold before, I am sold now. And I was sold before too, by the way. I, I think it's crazy to think that we will go back. I don't know what we will go to, but we're not going to go back to what we have. And I believe that we've got, I think the opportunity right now is to get really good at these multiple strategies, really good at them. And that's where I think the wins are going to come. And then we'll start to see what's the right combination in the blended formula, as you described. So how do you help people get comfortable? So in my experience when I'm coaching with a group, and I also say when I'm teaching a class, if you give me all the tools that are effective to teach a class virtually, I think there are some real wins. So for example, let me just do one-on-one in coaching. I honestly think I may do a better job in a video setting than I'm going to do in a face-to-face setting because people are more relaxed on the other side. They're in their comfortable environment. They don't have to put on their mask at work they don't have to worry about who sees them sitting and talking to me I and mean, there's none of that they can just kind of be chilled in a quiet confident uh, good place so so long as we provide good places for people to do it i think it's a better format and it's easy to build that rapport but boy do i have a lot of people who are just not comfortable with the video so what's your advice on that one
0: well, the truth is, is that you know, if you if you're uncomfortable in front of a video camera, you're not alone. I mean, this is this isn't like this is human. I I don't, and it's it's a weird thing. Like I don't know why we are afraid in front of a video camera, but we are. And I used to be deathly afraid in front of a video camera, deathly afraid. And I write about this in the book, and I tell this, these stories of some of the most egregious things that I did, like. I was on a video call. It was just really early on when we were really starting to get off of, like, say, voice over PowerPoint and get on video. And I was, uh, it was just like, I don't know, 2010. And I'm on video and I didn't have the camera positioned right. And so the entire time you could only see my face above the nose. And I looked like a Muppet. And people were, like, writing really nasty things in the chat. And there were, like, 4,000 people on this webinar and my whole office was watching and I was oblivious like, because I was just delivering. And when we got off and I saw what had happened. I was so mortified. I told my wife, I am never, ever, ever doing a webinar again. Ever. Like I'm never, I was, I, I, I was crushed. And... I did. I did it again. Like I just did it again. It was a mistake. And I've, next time I figured this out. And you know, today, you, if you're you know, if you're watching this video in this moment, I mean, if you see where I where I am, I'm in a completely different situation. I don't make those mistakes again. Mm-hmm. So one thing is, you got to give yourself a break. You're going to get on video, and you're going to you're going to feel bad, or you're know, going to look bad. Uh, you're also, um, you know, I it's you're you you I mean. I work with corporate executives. So I have a a part of my company called Knowledge Studios and we build e-learning programs for companies. It doesn't have to be sales, we'll teach people how to run a bulldozer. But one of the, our, our signatures is, when we're working with big companies, well, there's a lot of executives have lots of experience. And, and sadly, when you have a lot of experience, sometimes you don't really know how to express your experience in a way that can chunk it up and in, in, in a format that other people can learn from it. And we're really good at doing these interviews where we get executives to give us pieces of information. And then almost like a masterclass, we, can, we do it in a cinematic way and we build it out and we create training programs for the company using their executives. And it's not uncommon because executives are busy, and this is pre-pandemic, that we would be waiting for, say, the CEO of a big company, and he's walking out of a room that had a hundred people in it talking to them, and then we have the cam- camera set up in an anteroom, and then we're going to do the interview right there because this is the only time we can get this person. And they'll sit down, and we'll, you know, we'll get their hair right and get the lights right. And then we'll go, okay, we're ready to go. We'll click the little thing. And then the red light will come on the video camera. And this, this executive who captivated the room next door and everybody was leaning in and like, this is the greatest person on earth, suddenly loses the ability to speak as soon as the camera is on. And, it's, and it happens all the time. They call me five take Jeb. I'm, I've got a sound. I've got five sound studios here. I've got an entire you know cast that works with me. And when you put me on a video and I screw things up, even on this interview, I said some things that if I were to go back and listen to them, I would go, "What were you talking about? Like you made up a word like that doesn't even exist." So, so it's. It, you know, it's it's you know, if you think about it, it's really hard to think how do you move forward if you're judging everything you say. Even while we're doing this, I'm judging some of the things that I'm saying and go, that was really stupid. You could go back and do that again. How do you do it? You just do it. And the way that I was able to like get good at video, and, and, and there's a you know, for business people that are listening to this interview, it was as a business person. I realized that if I didn't get good at video, I was holding my entire company back. We consume video at a rate that is uh, and it's insane. I, I think Cisco's web report says by 2025, 82% of the traffic on the internet is going to be video. So as a business owner, as, a, as an entrepreneur, me not mastering video, very, very bad for my organization. And in a virtual world where buyers and the people around you are much more comfortable having a video call, not mastering video is going to hold you back. So what I did was I, I, I basically set out on this, this quest. It, it was a year. And I started off with just 90 days, but I was going to shoot one video every single day, one video. Mm -hmm. And anywhere I was in airports and hotel rooms in my car. And I was going to post it online and you can go to my YouTube channel and you can see some really bad videos. They're still there. Uh, And I and and that's what I did every single day. I forced myself to shoot one video, no matter what, back of Ubers. And I would basically say, somebody hold my camera. And I would shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot. And and at first, terrible, 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 I'd be so mad. And then I got better and better and better and better at it. And To the point now when I'm at a conference and uh, and you know someone says, hey, my team loves you. I like, get you got a camera? And they go, yeah. I said, get that person to hold your camera. Let's shoot a quick video and we'll talk to your team. I would have never done that before. I, w- I would have hid from the, like just shoot it, we'll go. And then I realized that I put way more pressure on myself than other people are putting on me. So what I did was I started doing it. And that's right. and that's what I teach people, start doing it. Do I right. can give you all the technology, I can show you how to do it better, uh, but do it. The other thing that I teach people is this. One of the reasons you don't like video is because you spend all the time while you're on video looking at yourself oh, and that yes. gargoyle that yes. is staring back at you does not make you happy. Yeah. So number two is stop looking at yourself on video. You'll notice that I'm making eye contact with you, right? Now I'm looking at the camera, not at you. Now I'm, I've got a setup here so that you're directly behind my camera. Mm-hmm. So essentially mm-hmm. I'm making eye contact with you. And I've got some really cool tech and in, in this studio in particular, I'm not using that tech right now because I wanted to have this type of, of call with you. But I've got other tech that is, all it is is a piece of glass. The camera's behind the glass. And the the person that I'm talking to is on, in front of the glass, I never see the camera, I just see them. And my producers position their eyes right in front of the camera. But in this situation, you're not right in front of the camera, I just look at the camera. I just make I make eye contact. That's a learned behavior. Right. And it's learned because what I've done is taught my brain to stop looking over here and looking over there and looking at my, I'm, I can see myself, I'm up at, to- up at the top you can also turn that frame off. So number one is 50 to 70% of the time, you're looking at yourself mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and you're looking at yourself because you've, you're trying to judge who you are. All I say is just imagine that you met with someone in person. If I, if I could just go back in person, everything would be better. Okay, so you go in person and you take your mirror out of your purse or out of your backpack or out of your bag and you set it on the desk of the person that you're meeting with. And then you spend half of the meeting looking at yourself in the mirror. I mean, they would, first of all, it would be ridiculous. Yeah. And and they're never going to do business with you and you would never do anything. Well, stop doing that on video. You treat a video call just like you treat meeting with someone. So stop doing that. And the other is understanding something called the eye contact paradox. And this is what really makes people comfortable. So I can get you just comfortable on camera. One of the problems that we face is that, for example, I'm making eye contact with a camera. In this moment, as I'm making eye contact with a camera, it causes you to feel like I'm making eye contact with you. Because it looks to you like I'm making eye contact with you. And likewise, you're looking into your camera. I can tell that. So it causes me to feel like you're making eye contact with me. The problem is, is that when you're looking in the camera, you don't really get that same feeling of, of like looking at someone directly in their eyes like you do in person. So what you do is you look away from the camera at them like I'm doing right now. And when you do that, it makes you feel good, except for the person on the other side no longer feels like you're making eye contact with them. Right. And so what you have to do is you have to train yourself to look at the camera. This is, it's just discipline. It's just like training yourself to do anything else in your life. Anything that you try to do, hobby, whatever, you train yourself to look at the camera, having faith that when you're looking at the camera, the other person feels good about that. And then what science is teaching us is that when we're on video and we make eye contact with the camera, just like if you lost your sight or lost your hearing, that the other senses and in, in, in increase or they, they they become more accentuated to make up for that loss of sight. The same thing happens on video, and, and there's data behind this. There's, there's, if you go read, read my book, Virtual Selling, you'll find this, the citation for these studies that when you make eye contact with a camera on a virtual call, your peripheral vision begins to to pick mm. up the the mm-hmm. slack. And what it begins to do is allow you to see and, and perceive the micro-expressions from the other person so that when you first do it, like you don't feel like you can like really connect with another human being. But over time, your subconscious mind begins to see the exact same things, perceive the exact same things that allows you to, to in that moment flex to the other person and to flex to their emotions and to connect with them just as, as you would in person. And, and so what we do is we basically are creating a facsimile of an in-person meeting that is almost as good. It's not as good. I'm not going to argue that. But it's almost as good, and it's good enough so that when we are attempting to move or advance a deal forward or to advance an idea... Or to connect with another person that we're able to in that moment using this particular medium achieve our outcome and in some cases you're going to look at the world and say look i need to go there in person i've Mm -hmm. you know even in the pandemic i've i've have met with a couple of executives in person because the deal was big enough and i felt like it was important for me to get eyeball to eyeball with the ceo and so they've been willing to meet with me even though it was outside but we've had those meetings but my point is is that, that those were very rare, very few, uh, and, uh, and very far in between. But that's, that's how you get good at this. But if you do it once and go, this is really make me feel comfortable, and so you don't do it again, well, you're never going to get good yeah. at it. You, if, yeah. you know, if you don't get out of your comfort zone and stay out of your comfort zone, it'll it'll always feel like your uncomfort zone. But if you get into your uncomfort zone and you stay there for a while, all of a sudden you go like, well, this isn't that bad and you get good at it. Okay.
1: All right. So I come to the following conclusions if I draw this. So virtual selling is here to stay. In fact, virtual selling plus text, social, video presentations, demos, um, conference calls, telephone calls, voice messages, Every medium is available out there, and we have to learn to use every single medium. Number one, it's not going away. It will be here. And the question is, what medium is going to get me closest to my desired outcome with the least cost in terms of time, energy, and money? Okay. And keeping in mind what's the cost for my customer as well, because that's also part of the equation. They got to factor that in. Yes, it might take two virtual sessions face-to-face to to build the same rapport that I would get in a face-to-face meeting, but it takes less cost and time and energy and real money to do this virtually than it's going to take getting on a plane and going somewhere or getting on the schedule and then all those sorts of things. So, Mm -hmm. a lot of factors to get in that one. Okay, the sales cycle is still the same. Mm -hmm. There is still an emotional cycle. There's still the emotion connection. There's still the relaxed, assertive, confident thing that we talked about in the first half of the show that doesn't go away. There's still the understanding what your buyer's trying to achieve. There's all of those things that you talk about, about what makes for a great sales cycle, another show for another day. That process doesn't change. What changes is the multitude of channels I have to achieve that. And thinking, what channel is going to do what for me with this client in this circumstance? And I think the last piece is get over your discomfort. It's new. It's something we're not good at. Yes, you're going to have to get over it. There's a lovely piece of of research that you didn't cite that says that as human beings, we're incapable of not looking at a reflection of ourselves if it exists. So, my secret to that is to hide it so that I don't actually see it in one form or another, or to just ignore it. I mean, you can do any number of those, but get over it, move on with it. It's here to stay. How'd I do on that one?
0: I think you did great. I think that was fantastic. What a fantastic summary.
1: Okay, excellent. All right, I have one last question, then I'm going to let you go, which is... What besides standing in front of the pulpit, um, delivering a commencement speech to a g- group of graduates, high school graduates, takes you out of your comfort zone and what's your secret to success?
0: Oh, well, I, I, the, I can tell you the one of the biggest things ever that took me out of my comfort zone was jumping out of an airplane. <laughs> and so I'll just give you the real quick story because I think this is this is, uh, it's an important story about getting out of your comfort zone. I'm a person who told every human being in my entire life, I will never jump out of a perfectly good plane. I'm not jumping out of a plane ever. Like you can pick anything out there to do. I'm not doing it. And I do a lot of work with the military and I, because I wrote a book called fanatical military recruiting, we work with recruiting groups and I was up in Ohio and I was delivering this, this training. And during a break, this uh, command Sergeant major who had to be like eight feet tall comes up to me and says, sir. I'm going to invite you to come jump with the Golden Knights. And normally I would have said, listen, I am never jumping out of an airplane. However, my, my survival instinct kicked in. I'm like, this guy's massive. And I am say saying no. I went, yes, sir, I'm going. And, and so we, we walked away. And I thought, nothing's ever going to come out of this. Like, it'll be fine. So I didn't hear anything from anybody, didn't, didn't push it, didn't ask anybody. I not want to jump out of an airplane. And two months later, I get a phone call and it's from the same command sergeant major and says sir i'm going to be setting you up um, for the golden knights jump a captain's going to be calling you asking for your information and i said yes sir i didn't want to say yes sir but i said yes sir because i was compelled to so they, I, a couple of weeks go by and i told my wife they're never going to pull this i'm not jumping with the golden knights and so a captain calls me and they get everything set up and they get me put together i go to fort knox and even up to the moment that I'm boarding the airplane, I'm thinking, there's no way they're letting me do this. And I couldn't say no. Like, I, I couldn't come off as a wimp. So my, my fear of being rejected, like, was worse than my fear of death. So I show up, I suit up, and my, I'm, my heart's pounding. So we go to the briefing, and I walk out of the restroom, and one of the sergeants who's in the briefing says, sir, are you Okay. And apparently, I looked like, you know, I was about to pass out. And the and, and truth was, I was. And I went, no, sir, I'm fine. I'm okay. So, they put me on the airplane, and we go up, and I'm terrified, terrified, terrified. I'm terrified to the point that I, I'm like, I don't think I can do this. And I'm afraid that I'm going to get up there and go, I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm okay. I'm backing off. But I went, and I just, like, kept moving forward, kept moving forward, kept moving forward. And so, instead of thinking about jumping out of the airplane, just thought about, okay, I'm in the moment, in the moment, in the moment, in the moment. Like the only thing that I've got is in the moment. Can't worry about the future. Can't worry about where I came from just now. And we get on the edge of that airplane and I'm like, there's no way. And I'm so afraid. And then we jump. And when we jump, I, the moment we jump, I'm like, I want to do it again. <laughs> like, I'm, this is the greatest thing ever. And I'm, I mean, we go down there and we get it. The, we, we, we hit the ground. I'm like, that was so much better than I thought it was going to be. And it just, you know it proved, like once again, for me and for everyone else, that like the greatest victories, like the things that you enjoy the most, the things that you take away, the greatest memories—it's all on the other side of fear. And you know, all fear is is about something that's going to happen in the future, and the future doesn't even exist. It's, it's just—it's not even real. You can only be in the moment, and and so I—I I got over it, and I would do it again. I would—I would go again. The problem is, is that I jumped with the greatest parachuting. You know, unit that is isn't on Earth, and now anything else will be a letdown from there. It's like you know, it's like going to your first football game, and you're 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 in a luxury seat. You know, you never want to go back. Yeah, right. But it was it was like it, it, for me, probably my greatest fear, like the one place that I never wanted to go was jumping out of airplane. Of all my fears, and and you know in just a moment it all got wiped away and i'm like it was, it was there was nothing to it all the things that i made up in my head about what it was going to be like were just wrong And that's my story.
1: I love it. I love that focus of in the moment. All I can do is this step and the next step and the next step. And I love your statement that fear is fear about what's going to happen. It's in the future. We have no idea. It might or it might not. So focus in the moment. It's fabulous. My guest today, Jeb Blount, a sales acceleration specialist. The two books we've been talking out of his 13 today are virtual selling, inked, Probably some of the others like Sales EQ, and I'll give a shout out for the one that's coming in June called Virtual Training. Jeb, thanks for being guest today. Thank you. Thank you for
0: joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.